Welcome to episode 12 of the Mercenary Podcast. This is Dan Clifton joining you from Los Angeles. Today we are joined by Esprit Devora, a tech enthusiast, a member of the LA Silicon Beach community. We talk a lot about management in this episode, past successes and failures, and how Esprit has managed to outsource a lot of the aspects of her life uh, to varying degrees of success. Let's get into it. This is Dan Clifton. Welcome to episode 11 of the Mercenary 12. Podcast. Or maybe <laughs> it's, it's 12. 12. I think it's a 12. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, we're at door 12. Um, well, that was a good start. Uh, I'm here with Matt Monahan, and I'm also here with Esprit Devora, who Hello. likes to call herself the girl who gets it done, uh, from wearelatech.com. And uh, yeah, we're here to talk about a lot of different stuff. So, uh, Matt, what's going on? Not much. We just actually... we. We just hired a product designer, which I'm really, really thrilled about because uh, it's been like over a year that we've been trying to find the, the right person, and uh, I think we finally have. Uh, I think we, we really knew it was the right person when uh, he, he had actually produced a video about uh, Kung Fu. He's, he does Kung Fu, and uh, he, he did a, a video about his, his uh, I guess, his Kung Fu master, and he used uh, one of the songs. I forget which which one it was. It was a Clint Mansell song from uh, The Fountain. And I was just like, hire this guy. Uh, That's awesome. Okay. He, Where did you find um, this guy? He worked in Philly. He, he worked at like another startup. And was, uh, we were able to lure him over. Wait, wait. Just... He worked in Philly. He worked in another startup. But how did uh, you find him? I'm not exactly sure. We have a um, we have like an in-house recruiter. C- come on, not come on, man! On this secrets. spot, on this yeah. spot, did you actually did, find did him? I did you, did you him? see him at no. a? He paid a guy <laughs> in a dark alley. Find me a I product was pretty designer. much willing to do that. I was I was willing to do a lot of things to find a, a product designer at this point. Um, yeah, I think we we have like a uh, an in-house recruiter. She might have found her, found him. The Philly tech scene is so prolific that Matt just walks into <laughs> bars and get, gets in fights with people oh, and man, finds that people. To, That's how to, yeah. to work at this company. That's how you it know, is. You know what I heard, you guys? What do you think? Uh, I don't know if this is interesting, but recruiter, apparently it's not gross anymore. I, I mean, the way I look at it, <laughs> I thought they're, recruiter they're is a bad me. word. Like, I probably am friends with, or and like on LinkedIn, I probably have like a quarter of my contacts are probably recruiters. Yeah, and I don't really care. Really? So you, so you, that you Pretty know, you always have a job. Yeah, because they just constantly <laughs> like you just send jobs to me all the time, and I always turn them down. But you know, it's it's pretty it's it's nice to have that. And I, if you if you're if you guys listening right now, if you're like, oh my gosh, I want a job so bad, I can't figure out how to get one. He just gave you. I've never even heard that before. Just like friend every recruiter <laughs> they on. They just LinkedIn. keep coming, so it's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's thing, pretty. It's pretty is, shameless, but I but I have to great, support that's it. That's a great job hunting hack. Hashtag job hunting. Like that's a, I've never heard that before. I mean, it, it used to be so that it was simple. like it, it was just really annoying because you would get somebody that has uh, they send you some generic thing where they haven't read your profile at all or anything. And as it turns out, like on their end, like that's what works. Like writing a uh, a really personal um, message to somebody doesn't really pay off. I, really? I think it's just it's Why? a numbers game. 
If you if you can send out, you know, 200, 300 messages that are all generic and you get somebody who's a candidate versus like really putting the time in on maybe like 30 or 40, you just you, you probably have a better outcome if you just uh, send the generic one out. See, I, I disagree with him pretty vehemently here. I do I, I, think it's the, I think it's the exact opposite. I mean, I, this kind of goes into the whole like tech versus film thing. But for me, and the film industry was a very late adopter of LinkedIn because it's all about specific personality types and how you sort of focus under pressure and, and in, a, in a weird working environment rather than like your actual recommends and whether, whatever on LinkedIn. But I just feel like specific thought out uh, pitches versus mass uh emailing people for jobs yeah, I mean, it worked definitely out works me. out better totally. when someone sends me something that's soft thoughtful but someone someone did a like a, a some basic kind of study on this to see like they just found some data on like whether which stuff worked and it was it was the depressing depressingly it was the uh the, the less thoughtful stuff so interesting because my good friend just got poached and received a personal email from a recruiter and I don't think he would have, I mean, how could I know, but I don't think his personality type, he would have responded ever. He was in a job completely happy and well paid. And so if it wasn't a personal email, I don't think he would have even engaged Yeah, I, with I will it. say that um, the Philly tech scene is small enough that if you take somebody from another company, um, there's, there could be a pretty good chance that the, the CEO of that company calls the CEO of our company and starts yelling at him. Um, and the, the kind of like the answer you really give is just like, well, this person was clearly looking. Um, so you just didn't do enough to retain that person. And uh, statistics. statistically, well, uh, well, no, well, just kind yeah. of like you kind of have to say like, like my friend wasn't looking at all, uh, what? you know. Oh. My friend wasn't looking at all, but I mean, if, it, if it's a study oh, well, that's this done, something else. It's, yeah. it's just really interesting. Personal emailing is, um, I don't know what you guys think about it, but I, I email hundreds and hundreds of personal emails a week. It's exhausting, but I do, I'm committed to it with We Are LA Tech, and, uh, and I see an extremely high response rate because of it, and which incentivizes me to keep on not sleeping. <laughs> It's definitely healthy. I think. I think. I think. Personal emailing is a lost art. Now, Matt was trying to create a bot for his company that would send out company <laughs> emails, and I said that you're going to completely, you're going to screw something up somewhere in the <laughs> ecosystem of what you're doing because, because, um, so, yeah. because I, I was like, well, isn't sending out a company wide email something that you could just have one person do? And you were like, no, that's what technology is for to make people's lives easier. And I was like, that there's something along the way. We're, we're talking like, about like the Jurassic Park, <laughs> like the. Dra- no, we're not. We're not talking. Um, something along the way, something will get screwed up, and it will cause you way more time and effort. Um, so, I don't know. Whenever I, I get so many unsolicited um, in the film industry, it's so funny. I'm trying to find a good example. I was actually going to read uh, of an unsolicited submission that's just someone cold emailing me, and they're all awful. And they're all they're funny. awful. They're amazing, but awful. I think legally, I just can't. I can't say this, but it's. Um, yeah, I'm just so annoyed by unsolicited cold emails and calls that I just can't do it myself. I can't. I want people to stop auto DMing me on Twitter. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is that? That just what? stop. Can people just not have an automatic response when you follow someone or something like that? Like it, it, they're annoying and it drives me out of my mind, and I delete them immediately. Yeah, it's. I think it's the sad thing about 
like online marketing is like so, depending on what you're going for. Like some tactics do work, but some tac- some tactics piss people off. Well, we can, had we had we had Nick Eubanks oh, yeah, on here a few he'll weeks probably ago. Tell you that it's and, like, oh, yeah, totally works. Um, but he's he's a professional <laughs> spammer. Um, oh. and he didn't like when, <laughs> he didn't like when I said that. But uh, but can I he's send him a can of spam. Can we just do that? Like, let's just do that as a movement. Uh, like anyone, any of our friends that has that problem, we just like it. mail them a can of spam. It's no, it's like whenever you direct DM someone on Twitter when they follow you, you should have a way where it directly <laughs> notifies Amazon. The, there's this Australian you guy who's just like, for twenty bucks, I will send someone a packet of glitter. Glitter. <laughs> He's like, no, you heard right. He he sold his company because um because it was like too much, like too much emotion. I don't know. Something was involved, so he sold it. He just wanted it out of his yeah, life. Yeah, he was like too something. many people want glitter. Yeah, <laughs> high class problem. So so we wanted to talk to you about our main uh, one of our main thrusts on this podcast is to talk about some of the more. Um, I guess simple but mundane aspects of what entrepreneurs do, and uh, Matt and I talk a lot about some of the simple things that are in the background of what our jobs are. Um, what do you do on a daily basis, and what was what was yesterday like for you? All right, cool. Well, I'll start from the quasi beginning that you know. So I run We Are LA Tech, uh, which is a virtual tourist office for LA startups. It's to help people either who want to get immersed into L.A. startup life or are already L.A. startups. So we have three core components. We have the calendar of all the L.A. events um, related to startup. And then we have the our podcast called We Are L.A. Tech that hit number two on New, New and Noteworthy, which was radical. And then uh, we have a job board focused on LA tech, which is what got me all curious about recruiting because the job board was only created because people kept asking for it. I know nothing about recruiting. So I've just been like hearing little bits and pieces and I've always figured recruiting is a bad word. Um, but so I not only am I an entrepreneur, but I like deal with entrepreneurs every day. And, um, so my day yesterday, uh, well, one, I usually can't remember. Oh, yesterday was Sunday. So it was perfect because I thought yesterday was Monday all day. And at the end of the day, I was like, I can't believe it's Tuesday already. And it wasn't. It was the end of the weekend. So rule number one in being an entrepreneur is weekends don't exist <laughs> anymore. There is no such thing as holidays or weekends, at least in my life. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I hung out What I yesterday... I, I had a really hard few weeks because um, I have a lot going on. Like I, I'm involved with South by Southwest and everything going on at the podcast and sending 1 million e- personal emails a week that I just needed some downtime. So I spent some time with one of my girlfriends just brainstorming uh, how to become a more efficient business person. <laughs> Wait, is that really downtime? But that is what I did. I've known her since I was a teenager. So she's watched me build multiple companies. And I'm like, so what? What what ha- patterns have you seen that you think I can improve upon? <laughs> like, that was my second. Yeah, night. that is downtime to you. It's sort of like there's there's like work, and then there's a lesser level of work, which is like permitted hanging out with people. But in the hanging out with people, you're still working. That's kind of yeah. how. That's basically what defines Matt. Uh, Matt and I, our, our relationship is yeah. uh, is it's like simulated downtime. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Um, cool. And what did you what What did you figure out in this time? Did you What did you uh, What did you figure out about how to be more efficient? It's just. 
I don't think I've figured anything out yet. I'm still in the exploring stage. I haven't, like, come to it. But, like, I met with my friend. uh, Oh, I know what I did Saturday. So Saturday was another, like, entrepreneurial version of downtime. Where um, So my second company was an action sports media company. We would travel around um, the country shooting pro athletes like Tony Hawk and Ryan Sheckler and Sean White. And uh, it was really cool. Anyway, I've known this guy since then. And uh, he invited me to a Supercross event, and I hadn't been to one of those in forever. So I was like, yes. So I drove from L.A. to San Diego, and uh, on the way, <laughs> on the way, I listened. I don't know if you guys know Jason Sadler's The I Wear Your Shirt I think guy. I've heard of this guy. I mean, he, he – Do you ever... You can wear a like, – No, I don't. He, he wears a, your shirt, like basically if you're a company, right? Yeah, and they they sponsor him to wear T-shirts. I mean, they, he does. I don't think he does it anymore, but he used to do it. And now he sells a whole course on how to get sponsored. And because I have this podcast, and I want to figure out how to monetize the podcast, I um, I was listening to this course the whole way there. Also, I was speaking into my phone, writing a book, and I, because um, one of my family members was like, "I was like, I've been wanting to write a book for years." They're like, "Well, why don't you just speak it into a mic since you do that anyway, and then have it transcribed?" I'm like, genius. <laughs> So I, that's how I wrote, that was my drive from LA to San Diego. I get there and my friend, um, and I are chatting at the bar. We're supposed to go to a super cross event. Instead, we end up talking about, you know, the evolution of his company and just all the acquisition offers that he's had and how he handled them and what he, why he turned things down and raising money and having multiple investors and all this stuff. And, I don't think there's really a point to this other than I like spent my Saturday night talking about that (laughs) and then my Sunday night trying to, so I'm just constantly like talking to people that I respect and trust and to figure out what my patterns are and how I can improve. So I'm not creating the same, I think we create the same cycles in life, whether professional or personally, and we don't break those cycles unless we recognize them and then do a pattern interrupt on them. And, and I'm trying, I don't know what my cycles are. And, but I feel like the potentially I am experiencing patterns. And so my friend related to my sports company, he's like, no, 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 you're not going through cycles. These are the pattern. These are entrepreneurial patterns. These are normal. Like it's not something with you. And then my girlfriend that I've known since I was a teenager who, um, has her MBA and had this amazing purse line. She's like, no, you definitely have patterns. There's definitely things wrong with you. So, yeah, I'm still exploring. I'm meeting with a a really big investor this week. Um, Also, I'm going to explore my pattern. I'm really candid when I meet with uh, investors and business people. I'm just like, here's who I am. Right? Like, dissect me. What do you think? I'm just, I'm kind of just open and vulnerable. And uh, I think they appreciate that. And then they give me back their feedback. And I love, I don't even, it's, I guess it's criticism, but to me, it's not negative. It's just, I love it when people are honest with me so that I could learn and understand people's perspectives. Yeah, so I guess the point to all that is I'm trying to recognize my patterns to break any bad ones if if I have them, which I personally think I do, but we'll see. Yeah, no, it's funny. I think I think the same thing in, in trying to get better. It's it's a little bit different, I guess, uh, for me in doing kind of the same project over and over again. Like, you guys experience this? Because I feel like I've been making movies, uh, and part of the reasons why I wanted to branch out and do more tech stuff with Matt and, and, you know, we create an app together and do other things. It's sort of when I make a movie, you're kind of doing the same process over and over again. Um, because making, whether you're making a small movie or a big movie, it's kind of the same thing. There are always different right. challenges. 
Um, and so there's a lot of patterns and there's a lot of cycles and there's a lot of, well, you know, we're in a budget meeting and I'm like, well, at this point, you know, I've been here before. I know we're going to be over budget in this area, but until we get the complete picture, what do I really know? Uh, anyway, so I've been in those kind of things before and it's kind of easier to learn from those mistakes because you're kind of doing the same process over and over again. Do you guys feel the same way about what you do, or is there more variance? Is it harder to recognize yeah. patterns and cycles than what that, you do because the process that, um, is different? I mean, running any kind of project, like the more you do it, the more you're just going to learn things. Like, oh, we should, this is a red flag, you know, something where, like, um, <laughs> if you're not sure if you're going to hit a deadline or something like that, you're about like a week or two away. It's like you're not going to hit it, like if you're not absolutely sure. Um, right. I think that it, particularly at RJ Metrics. Like everyone is very um, like I, I get a, a lot of feedback um, and definitely a lot of like, uh, like criticism of the way I do my job, like constructive criticism. And a lot of that is right. just really acknowledging when things go right, uh, when things go wrong, just kind of like exploring why they, that could have been the case. Um, and I think that there's a lot of stuff that I kind of like learned, learned the hard way before I was at RJ Metrics. But I think the learning has has like sped up a bit just because I've people around me who are willing to kind of point out and be like, well, if you just did it this way, um, it, like maybe you had like a, like maybe I held a meeting that was like ineffective or something like that. Like that's definitely happened. And it's like, well, if you just like met with these couple people, like privately, how, how dare yeah. you? How well, dare here's you the thing. That? It's just like that kind of stuff is like, <laughs> it's, it, it's not, it's not totally obvious that something was ineffective at the time. And in, right. in a poorer right. culture, uh, people will just let let that happen. Um, but if you're in a good spot, like someone can just be like, "Yo, I, that wasn't that an effect. That, that wasn't that effective. If you had tried this, that this probably would have been effective." And you try it, and if it works, like right. you're way more better. You're just better at your job. Um, but it's also very no, you're Matt. More Matt better, you're yeah. more better. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's something where like. That kind of thing is it, it makes you more effective, and it's it's way better yeah. than than not uh, improving. You know, I was just, I was just saying that after because it's funny you mentioned that there's a lot of things that you sort of figured out, a lot of mistakes that we both made in different areas of stuff before you you sort of got your your job now, which you've had for the past three or four years. Um, but I think it's like for me after now, like doing twelve or fifteen different movies over the past, I guess, like seven or eight years, suddenly you kind of fall into a rhythm, which can be bad because you kind of, you can get yeah. lax. But to me, it's, you kind of understand the I mean, general process yeah. of stuff. And really my confidence in being able to do what I want to do came out of that. It's like, okay, I understand all of these things. Now, how can I change all these thousands of moving pieces? See, I don't think it's that clear for me. Like you asked at first, if it's clear, I don't think it's clear at all. But the thing that I notice is that, um, like, I think there's quirks in my personality that I need to combat against. Uh, for instance, I, I'm a lot more comfortable giving than I am receiving. Like, a lot more comfortable giving. And it's a problem because, I, I mean, as a business person, you have to, you know, be okay with receiving often. So I have to work on that in you, my personality because um, it affects the way I do business. I mean, it even affects the way like I manage my staff. receiving criticism, receiving compliments, or, like, receiving? Oh, just... no, receiving, just receiving. Um, let's say, like, let's say one of my teammates, like, wants to, like, work 
super long hours or something. And they're like, don't worry about it. Don't worry. I feel so bad, (laughs) you know, but, but I'll put in the million hours or something, you know? Um, and so they pretty much just want to put in the million hours because they're inspired that I'm that type of leader, which is awesome, but I'm Mm -hmm. not good at receiving, you know, so I need to work on that. Or, um, a sponsor, like I, I got a sponsor for the LA podcasters meetup and which was random. And, uh, I was like, are you sure? (laughs) That was my (laughs) response. But so this, this, this company goes, yeah. So I'd like to sponsor you. And I said, are you sure? And then my girlfriend was standing next to me and she goes, what she means is that would be great. Would you like to sponsor all 12 months? That's what you got to (laughs) do. And then that's what happened. I mean, it was really, it was, yeah. So I have a problem. I have a problem. I will will say back like, damn, when we first started uh, doing stuff together, like it was about like telling people that were clearly going to treat you poorly to like, to, uh, Go take a hike. Um, like we would just take anyone who wanted to write a check. Yeah, and, and, and what were some of those? No, yeah, I'm not what were some go, of those I'm examples? Name so there were so many that. times where we were. <laughs> there were so many times early on where where Matt and I and I was always on the video and Matt was always on the on the tech end, and we had we had many. I wouldn't call them scams, but I would God. say there are many little I'm, things that I, we were I'm doing so that, together. I'm so glad I was taken along for the ride on some of those scams because it was just like so fun. It was so funny that the people that we met oh. it actually exist. I know. It's it's actually – and when we say scams, we just mean it was more like, well, Dan's going to shoot a few videos and then we're going to create a website, a website and we're going to put them on. And this, this was all like 2006, 2007. And so. then a billion oh, oh, yeah. people Everyone are going to visit the website and yeah. it will be like, rich. Are you sure you want to be in on the <laughs> yeah. ground floor? No, no, no. So, <laughs> like this one guy and he probably made uh, – like, yeah. I remember this one guy. I could be vague enough that I don't think this over uh, – this will have any negative consequence, but some, he was making like <laughs> e-cards where it would be like a pretty girl in like a hotel room, like says like, "Hey, like you're really awesome," and it's just, and he was just like, "People are just eating this up. They just they love it." It's just like people send these e-cards to people. And I was like, "Okay." He wanted to create the creepiest e-cards possible, and he's like, "It, it was it was really bizarre." All it I'm was. Saying, uh, listen, all I'm saying is my mom likes <laughs> e-cards. Yeah, I don't know if your mom like these cards. cards though. They were they were very <laughs> creepy. He was like, and so he was like, he's like, yeah, it's easy. Like, what is? He's like, yeah, we'll just get this hotel. And I'm not sure. Whenever I do like a shady impression, it's always somebody from like North Jersey. But he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. We can just get a hotel room and we'll shoot. You know, we'll shoot some of these e cards with yeah, these girls. It just got It'll to the point great. where whenever we talk to somebody, we would yeah. just be like, um, you have any money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also that, but there's also a few meetings where um, where Matt was completely in the right, where Matt was just like, this person's insane. We cannot do business with them. And then, of course, they'd probably write us a small check, and, and we'd do some business. And then, of course, six months like down it. the road, they're true. This was, you know, this was very early on. This is in the very early days of mistakes. Um, and then you know, six months down the road, Matt would be like, this is why I said we should never do business with this person. And that's exactly where we were. We yelled totally. at each other. Um, I remember you were just like, but I think just take was, the check, dude. Just take the check. We yeah. need the money. And I'm like, ah, uh, this. <laughs> Look, I never said that. I, he I, I definitely think he did. He definitely, that. That he definitely in that one, did. In that one example. God, that was so much fun, though. It was so much fun. But, <laughs> uh, it was fun. Well, no, it was. It, yeah, wasn't, I mean, it was fun it, retroactively. It was fun. And, and no one knows what we're talking about. 
Have no, you guys it's ever also... had a, a challenge asking for money? Like, I, like just putting yourself, I feel like maybe asking for money may be something that men are better at than women. Not in a beggar sense, just like business deals, you know, like, we hey, just like 250 grand. Yeah, I mean, there it is. That makes any sense. I feel like we're, it does we're very delusional. Sense. We're very delusional about um, what we bring to the table in terms of. I think somebody was just like, well, how much is this going to cost? And it was like at a school. It was like we were trying to get a school to buy our software, and I was like $250,000. And they were like, do you understand that my budget for anything that's not, anything that was not like employee related was like $25,000 for like the entire year? They're like, there's no way in hell that we would ever give you that much money. And Dan was just like, don't listen to him. Yeah, but you And you're like And I was like, don't you ever undermine me in in a in a meeting again. (laughs) We were just like we thought we were both (laughs) Yeah, we 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 were playing this elaborate good cop, bad cop with ourselves instead of with the client. You know, it's like we had no idea how to assess the market. We were like twenty at the time. Yeah, we we were like twenty, but we were also we were doing stuff. We thought we were so clever because we sort of had this like jack of all trades, master of none problem. Where we we thought, well, we're gonna do video stuff, we're yeah. gonna do tech, you know, we're, we're building sites, yeah. we're doing the, we're gonna we're gonna launch this our own social network that's part of this thing, and we're doing this I mean, thing. What we had at the time, and what we had at the time was, was a lot of, and what was what was pretty cool about it was yeah. Someone made yeah, a mistake I, th- somewhere. That was the thing is that like we we <laughs> actually were onto something that was pretty awesome because the videos it was this was back when Vimeo um, didn't really have like any kind of long form video like the longest video you could find on Vimeo uh, that's a mouthful was maybe like three minutes and it was usually just kind of like people just kind of dicking around and um, it, like a big part of the site at the time was just like there is this <laughs> this group of people that were in Williamsburg, New York. And they all knew each other, and they'd make these, like, little cute videos that they send back and forth to each other. And what we had was all the kids at NYU who were in the film program and, like, Fitchburg State College. You remember that school was um, – Yeah. They were really they – were, they were, like, pretty excited about it. There was a bunch yeah. of small networks that were part of our we – ha- we had sort of a, a mixture of Vimeo well, the, and like IMDb was, and like Facebook. The, the thing was, was is that we screened network. every video and, and like at the time – I remember at the time my dad being like, that will never work. You can't – you don't have the time of the day to watch all these videos. <laughs> but the thing was is that like people would submit like a 20-minute video. We didn't code it in QuickTime, which was like far and above like the best uh, like encoding – like. At the time, yeah. At the right. time, better yeah. Th- so we, were, we had videos that were, like, really well put together. They were better than what was on YouTube. Because all YouTube was was just, like, Numa Numa and, uh, like, clips of The Daily Show. And people and right. like, people were really, really engaged in, in like, wh- whoever, like, people were, were logging in. And we had, we, we had one of those things where we had, like, phantom profiles. So, like, um, yeah. if someone tagged... A person in it that didn't have a like a profile on the site, we just it would like automatically create one. So it was like really like it was it was, it was actually going somewhere, but we were like so tied to the film school thing, we didn't think that you could turn it into. Yeah, yeah no, the problem was, and I and I think our problem, and obviously you're like, well, someone made a mistake somewhere. It's like, yes, we screwed up. We uh, we <laughs> could have been billionaires. No, but the reality, and and I think this happens a lot, and you can probably speak to this, but it's when you get interested in an idea that's a very specific idea and then you have the opportunity 
to make it more broad. And in, do, in making it more broad, at the time, you're like, oh, this isn't what I wanted to do. But in making it more broad is when you really make it a much more commercial idea. And I think we were so – and this is probably my fault. I'll, you know, I'll admit this. But we were so about creating this sort of like high-profile niche yeah. film within like closed networks. Right. Like making well, a more specific thing, product. I specifically remember – I specifically remember us up. going – you know what? We're not going like YouTube got bought by Google, um, and after like we were like six months into making the site, and so YouTube got bought, and we were just like, we don't have the resources to. We we're specifically concerned about the codecs that they were using in uh, in their video player. Um, we were just like, we can't get into an arms race with Google unless we have like a substantial amount of money, and. Did you I, did, go like, out for I, investors? I remember uh, I was probably like what nineteen or twenty at the time, and I was just like calling every person I could I could find. Some people were actually kind of interested, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I was in Philly. Yeah, we we went out for investors oh, like wait, wait, like wait. Eduardo yeah. Saverin went out yeah. for investors. Yes, in the social exactly. Network, you know, it was uh, yeah. It, it was like you know his seven thousand dollars. But no, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean you got okay. So I remember when Google acquired YouTube, and I was like. These, I don't know if I could curse. So these effers, like, how do they make any money, right? So I looked in Sequoia. Yeah. Do you guys know Sequoia Capital, mm-hmm. venture capitalist firm? Apparently, Sequoia came in and saved the day with YouTube, and that's how they were able to like become YouTube. And so I was like, well, I want these Sequoia people. And I legit flew to San Francisco and walked into Sequoia office, and I ended up meeting with them. Well. I wish I could have done that. Well, I, I, I commend you. Yeah, I commend you a lot more than uh, than what we, we, we were doing. Philly or um, no Philly, you could have gotten on a plane and met with yeah, whatever Yeah, it was either, either $300 for my apartment at the time. It was like a two-bedroom that had four people living there or the $300 for the plane ticket to San Francisco. And I probably I, – I, at the time, I probably didn't even know where I would even go. Like – yeah, I think I think this brings up a really big point, which is a lesson that was learned is is don't do something unless you're oh, willing absolutely. to be all yeah. in on it. Because I think which is everything, yeah. right? And I think we were like nineteen and twenty. We thought we were hot shit. You know, we were like, we, you know, we were so, um, you know, we were building this little network. We, you know, but eventually, you know, I wanted to make movies. Matt wanted yeah, to do I mean, his own thing. Especially, I think especially for me, we, I was like, I'm not in this film world. I'm not sure that I can really like take this. By, at least, definitely not by myself. Um, and everybody was mm-hmm. graduating because then you're just finding other people who are doing well, the work for you, else, and it's not everyone really else was a film thing. And like you're even the people who are, are developers were really just you know like you know Perry's a, um, a visual effects person, Vlad's a colorist. Like they're they're film people, but they just like happen to code in in their like spare time. And uh, yes, way too many film people involved yeah. in the project for it to succeed. <laughs> That was the problem. I, I think one of the things, if I had to guess, I mean, I don't know, on, you know, there's a billion opinions in the world and everybody likes to share them, but uh, the most successful signs of a startup would be, I actually think it would be starting as a niche and then like opening up to go broad, but capturing that initial like loyal fan base from being super niche and then execution. And I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it, but those like, simple key components. I mean, everybody has an idea, but the person who executes, that's why I, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about Mark Zuckerberg, but he's an executor, Mm. you know, like, 
as much as anybody wants to say, he that's that's always been his main thing. He like got it handled. Yeah, no, and I think there was a point where we could have we could definitely have expanded it and could have done something with it. But I just think we weren't willing to take those steps and we weren't willing to go big and we didn't really know how to. Yeah. So yeah. it was yeah. sort of the, the, the lesson now. <laughs> that's, the, that's the most you know. I talked. That, that, that uh, website was called Take 247 at the time. Uh, that's the most I've talked about that in probably the last like five years. That's interesting. Aww. Yeah, the, there, there was that one party. When we, we found out all the videos were oh, like yeah, archived somewhere. And we found I have we them somewhere, found, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, all the videos are like are stashed on some FTP somewhere. Um, but that actually, the whole thing, talking about film actually kind of reminds me a little bit of, so you're heavily involved in what's called Silicon Beach, which is... Makes me um, think of boobs. I didn't, right. yeah, I wasn't okay. going well, there that's, at, at that's first, important. now that we're there, let's, let's explore that. <laughs> yeah. It does. It, come on, I grew up in LA. I'm like, it means <laughs> boobs. <laughs> like, well, How? How? <laughs> What does it mean? Go on, go on. Yes, I'm involved in Silicon Beach. No, it means it means right. it means fake breasts, Matt. You're just you're missing the. You're missing wow, the that point. went right over um, my head. <laughs> yeah, right over Are my you head. serious? I like how Dan knew that. I had no clue that you didn't know what I was talking about. Look, we we were in the trenches on Tate twenty four seven together. I think we know this, when yeah. it comes to sarcasm and, and it comes to everything else. I think we're. Um, so, yeah, so Silicon, Silicon Beach means different things to different people. Um, uh, what do you uh, – because Matt – since Matt is in sort of a – Matt's been able to try and carve out uh, a tech community in Philadelphia. Mainly – the main thing going for Philadelphia is that it's cheaper than New York. Uh, Matt, might, Matt might argue with that fact. But um, what is the tech community like in Los Angeles and how did that sort of come about? Oh, totally. Um, it, so I am born and raised LA and I built my second company in LA before there was a tech scene here. And what happened was I heard there was a tech scene here in the nineties. Um, I don't know about that. And then it faded away. And so this like rebirth of a tech scene here, in my opinion, started because, um, I used to have Entrepreneurs Anonymous uh, night in, I had a movie theater in my office. And so I'd play movies for entrepreneurs and they'd come by. It wasn't like a tech scene. It was just business owners, whatever that meant. And uh, these two founders came in, they were starting a place called Coloft, which is a co-working space. And they were inspired by the San Francisco co-working spaces. And they said, oh, we'd love for you to check it out. I came by, I watched them build the thing. I made a few introductions and what, ended up happening with Coloft is that it became this hub for all the developers and startup techies to get together and talk startup. And before that, there was no real hub. And so when Coloft um, grew in popularity and then they partnered with Startup Weekend, which is this organization that does hackathons, which is where um, people who code or don't code can get together and build something in a weekend. It's kind of like a sleepaway camp for nerds and wannabe nerds. Um, that, uh, that, that just kind of grew their credibility and their brand awareness. And then I noticed that other co-working spaces started opening up and then accelerators started coming and then venture capitalists started becoming more prominent. And I really think Coloft is what planted the seeds to where LA is today. And so that was, I think, I believe, I have to look it up. I think it was like in 2009 or something. And then now people are moving to LA. I think we're the third largest startup city, which is really crazy. And um, 
It's great because, I mean, you guys know that with the movie industry, we have that upper hand. Plus, um, if you go to San Francisco, all you see are billboards of tech companies everywhere. And so there people really live in this tech bubble. Everything is tech. And here everything is not tech. So you could talk to just someone on the street that may not know you know, what Tinder is. Well, maybe not Tinder, but (laughs) some app. Whereas if you're in San Francisco, people are just like completely immersed in in everything going on. And we were in San Francisco, we looked up, there's a billboard for a hard drive. And we were just like, well, this this is the only place in the country you can have a billboard for a hard drive. Exactly. exactly. Well, yeah, look, I completely respect, you know, as most of my life uh, seems to revolve around getting massive files from point A to point B, unfortunately. <laughs> Obviously, I respected that. But <laughs> but I, I feel like the L.A. tech scene has only has grown because people were so tired of talking about the film industry here that it, it's, like, nicely re- – I'm, I'm kidding, but it's nicely <laughs> yeah, refreshing. People really still like I'm film very, <laughs> in L.A., yeah. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm very sarcastic. I'm just saying that it's uh, – you're it's gonna like, love me. I'm so gullible. <laughs> no, 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 oh, yeah. no. Matt's gullible, apparently. <laughs> but no, but you're um. What, Matt, whenever I, it's like me going to San Francisco is like me taking Matt to a bunch of like film parties here because Matt hates Los Angeles. Though he hasn't really been that much, but it's like how everyone, like literally everyone in the same room is an actor, and how literally everyone has a screenplay. Oh, I will, and I will all say those that. cliches. When we were hanging out in San, Francisco. in San Francisco. It was exactly the same kind of thing as when we were at. Some hotel that I think you, t- you took me to in L.A. Where it's, it, it's it was like everyone was kind of dressed the same. Uh, like it was, it was basically the same dress too. It's just like you know a button down and a blazer. And and in uh, San Francisco, everyone's talking about what their new job at Facebook or Google. And and in L.A., everyone was talking about who they knew. And in both places, yeah. drinks cost yeah. fifteen dollars. I mean. Well, I think part of the part of the problem that also exists in the film, it, or it's not a problem, it just is, is there's a lot of hype, and you have to see through all the hype. And I think part of what I was going to say, the problem or challenge is, if you're just new to LA and for whatever reason you want to build your startup in LA, you need to have that like three month buffer period to find out what's BS or not, and uh, because everybody's just talking a lot of stuff. But um, I find that the people that are really doing business are probably the people that you don't really hear about. Like, uh, I'm about to go live with the Pasadena edition uh, of the We Are Late Tech podcast. And it's insane. Oh, you like Pasadena startup stuff, too? No, I I just like Pasadena. Oh, cool. No, but it's insane how many companies out of Pasadena have been acquired for huge money and how many super influential business leaders have done business in Pasadena. And you don't hear about any of them in any tech blog or anything because they're just busy making money and doing business. (laughs) Well, no, you're you're right. You're you're like, if you're not on the West side, because my my uncle lives in Pasadena and I, I go out there once in a while and it is like a different, it's like a whole different thing. And like, you don't even consider it. And I'm I'm a little bit of a West Side snob, you know, a little bit. But it's um, in yeah. L.A. But it's um, what you're saying is like if it doesn't happen here, and if people don't read about it here, whether it's in film and you don't read about it in the trades or on Deadline, or you know, it could happen 20 miles east, and it it exists in its own little bubble, which is kind of good, I guess, for incubating right. stuff because it almost it's like the people. Matt, it kind of goes back to your. There's a lot of like old money in philadelphia and it's almost like there's a lot of old money of people who have just owned not like owned factories but have just owned yeah, businesses mean, for such a long time that they just make a lot of money oh, not in a splashy like, way it, but there's just like, a lot of money that, this is a canadian <laughs> company but they're big, pretty big in philly like ashblend they're like a tree trimming business you know and like 
they make money hand over fist. And I love that. Like, I, I really, it's, it's not like a sexy business at all. And the thing is, like, a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of Philly, if you go in a bar and you kind of like ask, um, a few people what they do, they're probably going to work at a healthcare company. They're probably going to work at, uh, a, you know, a big four accounting firm or, or a law of, or the tons of like law offices in Philly. It's not going to be, like, oftentimes it's not going to be a startup. If it's going to be tech, it's probably going to be someone that works at Comcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just have no showy Yeah, I, yeah showbiz the other thing BS. is just, like, I really like, yeah, like, I don't work <laughs> at, a, at a company, like, uh, RJ Metrics does business intelligence. It's, it's not, like, a, it's not a consumer startup. So we're, like, we're selling straight to businesses. And I love that because I feel like it's it's way easier. I wouldn't say it's it's easy, but... It's way easier to start a business and actually just make money. It's it's hard to become a billion dollar business uh, doing like B two B software, but it's way easier than making like like an Uber competitor or or like some kind of social network or something like that. That's wait, you're saying making making like unsexy uh, yeah, money like, is easier? I mean, yes, <laughs> I mean I love unsexy money. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, but I do know that, uh, like, one of the, one of the things that I thought was really true is one of the guests on the podcast said that you know these companies aren't concerned with becoming celebrities, oh, yeah. <laughs> like yep. like the, like tech celebrities. They're not trying to be an author or something or on TV. They're just trying to like do business the right way. And I I it, so when people come into LA and I think this is a, a huge challenge is people come into LA, there's all these events. I mean, I've maintained the community calendar for LA startup events now for three years. So I've watched it go from like a few, a, a lot of events, but a few like manageable, not a big deal to now it takes me like hours per week to maintain this calendar. Right. And, um, so even the large brands, when they move here, they're like, oh, should we be going to all the events? Because that's what everybody's doing, you know? And it's, I feel like everybody's just trying to figure out what everybody else is doing and what they're going to find out at the end of it is that like everyone that's doing stuff is not um, out and about yeah. because they're busy that's, doing that's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah it's, it's part of the whole, like you just get caught into different scenes and you're just sort of like stuck there and you think that's like what you should be doing. Um, yeah. it's kind of, it's in the film calendar. It's like, I, I make fun of the film industry cause honestly hype is sort of all we have. Uh, but the, you know, in, when you're trying to track down someone for a meeting, a lot of times it's like after the holidays, then suddenly there's Sundance and people, you know, I usually don't go to Sundance unless there's a reason to, um, right. but a lot of people just go there every year. And then, you know, I, I have friends who I didn't go to Sundance and I was just working a lot, um, just trying to catch up on stuff. Cause I was like, yes, yeah, some time to actually not go out. Right. And then. I have friends who are there and then like, oh, I miss you here, but I'll see you in Berlin like next week. And because then after Sundance, there's the Berlin Festival. There's like the European film market. And then after that, there's um, there's South by Southwest. And it's almost I feel like it's really easy, at least in film and maybe in tech as well. But there's sort of a scene where people are just doing stuff and going places. And I'm like, like you kind of feel left out. But then you're like, oh, I'm at home actually working. (laughs) Like I'm actually like getting. So in some ways you got to pick your battles and pick your moments because I feel like it's really easy to get caught up in that kind of scene. Completely easy to get caught up. Completely easy to get caught up. What's, what's like that in tech? Maybe not in LA tech, but are there, are there festivals and stuff 
in L.A. or San Francisco or anywhere in the country that are sort of like that, that people are just traveling from point A to point B oh, constantly? I mean, well, we do the South by thing, too, South by Interactive. And then right. CES is like a big whoopla. I didn't go to CES. I didn't want to go to CES. I didn't I didn't feel bad about not going to CES because I've been to CES and I, I know, like, my return on going and what my goals are at this time in my life. And that was in alignment with anything CES, you know? So, um, so yeah, but there's tons and there's tons in LA. Like, I mean, we literally, I'm not going to open the screen now because I don't want to mess up our, our airwaves over here, but like there, there's probably somewhere between five to 10 events, like a day, like uh, Monday through Friday. It's ridiculous. It's too many. It's crazy. And people get caught up in trying to go to all the different events because they think there's something that needs to be happening. But, um, but well, again, you mentioned only, something really important. Yeah. You, you mentioned return on, like, in return on investment of going. So, like, how do you, I feel like that's the most important thing, right? It's like, how am I, the opportunity cost of going, what you're missing, what you could be doing. But then, you know, you might meet somebody. You might meet somebody that you work oh, totally. with for the rest of your life. You know, you never know. Totally. Yeah. So I've met, I've met, like, an insane amount of, of incredibly, um, you know, important people, quote unquote, whatever the fuck them. I don't, I don't vet people, but you know, people who have accomplished all in their lives that a lot of other people would want to meet as well at events and stuff. But at the same time, it's, it's a matter of just kind of balancing it out. It's like it, every second that we're not somewhere else, like we're like, like there's a million places we could all be right now. I mean, more than a million, infinite amount of places we could be. And that all lends itself to an experience. So you just choose the experience that you want yourself for that particular moment in your, in, in your life. So uh, an example for South by Southwest. So I've been to several South by's and then I stopped going to South by, um, I found the biggest return on going to South by for me was, um, really enjoying, um, my peers. Like I did meet a lot of, um, people that were great for business too, but like my fondest memories of South by are enjoying my peers. And then I got to a point where I'm like, okay, it's really big now. And I just, I don't feel that intimacy with my friends. And since I go for mainly a social reason, I'm not going to go anymore. And then I had the opportunity to be a, a speaker coordinator this year. Um, and I was really excited because I had an experience experienced that angle of South by, I thought that was really cool, new life experience. So I've been doing that. And it's funny because, um, with being a speaker coordinator, like my past is taken care of, uh, of course. And, um, they kept trying to like send me my pass and I don't, I mean, it's great that I have a pass, but I don't really care. Like, I'm just excited to be a speaker coordinator. <laughs> like I, and they're like, don't, don't you want that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. No worries. You know? <laughs> like, and so I think it's just all about like choosing the life experiences we want. So in the, in this particular life experience, like I wanted this new perspective to understand how this ecosystem works on that end. Um, uh, for like, or am I trying to hang out with friends or am I trying to, um, like I moderate several panels. The biggest incentive to me moderating panels has been seeing that I'm creating a positive impact in people's lives in the, in the way in which I moderate panels. And I know that sounds super cheesy, but like, that's really important to me that like my existence means something, <laughs> you know? And so it sounds cheesy. I'm creating a positive impact or whatever. But when you have someone come up to you a few years later and say, I remember that panel you moderated and you're like, what? The yeah. fuck? Like, are you serious? Like, how do you remember? Like, a, that's crazy, you know? So 
Um, before every panel that I moderate, I get insanely nervous. I get nervous. I'm like 48 hours before. I'm like, why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this? I feel like I want to puke every single time until I actually start moderating. It's like the most uncomfortable physical feeling, but then you have that reward of, of people being really inspired, um, by the insights that you were able to deliver. So, um, so I, I have on my bathroom mirror, we choose how we spend our time. And I think it's about that. I I think there's a lot of magic in just going to things and like seeing what happens and that's fine. But if you're like going to things because you want, um, you feel like you're supposed to, or you're, you're going to things and you're not growing something that is really important and you're not like, you're not focused and executing, then, then you're like messing up somewhere, you know? So there's just like balance of just being super self-aware of like what you're choosing to do with your time. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a ramble, but no, it makes, makes sense. Yeah. I think it's also it's also like going to stuff without a clear oh, purpose, yeah. like or you know, going to stuff like without goals. It's uh, just to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's the classic luck is yeah. preparation meets opportunity, right? I mean, it's sort of it all, it all kind of goes into that. Totally, totally. Like for instance, this this weekend there was randomly um, TechCrunch was accepting a uh, TechCrunch is like a tech news site news air quotes, um, (laughs) that, uh, that they were allowing tech entrepreneurs in LA to pitch them. And I really didn't feel like going, uh, to be honest, I felt like going to the beach. I'm like a little bit burnt out. I've had a really heavy month, but I'm like, you know what? Like my, my thing is LA startups. That's like what my whole life is. Like, that's what my whole business is. Um, so all the LA startups are going to this tech crunch thing to pitch. And so, uh, it would be astute of me to go meet all these LA startups because that is what I do. And I run a podcast focused on LA startups. So it's free. You're not going to the beach. You're going to go to this thing, you know, <laughs> like, and I did, and I met all the LA startups there and it was great. And it was exactly what I should have been doing with my time. And then I went to my girlfriend's house to get criticized positively. <laughs> Excellent. Wait, do you want to um, talk about the like digital yeah. nomad thing? Cause it, it, that's been something I've oh, been yeah, like, it was that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Really and outsourcing. Like well, I think I read in a bio or something of you that, that you had like, uh, you spent like 10 years traveling around the world. Is that real? Can that be real? That would be amazing. Let's, can we pretend? Hold on, hold on, yes. Oh. No, I, I outsourced my love life. <laughs> well, uh, then I got that completely, completely wrong. I went Jeez. backpacking for four months without a computer or phone and no plan. For, for the next Somehow 10 years, 10 years. divorce feel, travels like were Italy, Spain, <laughs> and all over the United States, where she spent anywhere from three months to a year in each place. Quoting from your, your website. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, very serious. There's also serious? a picture of Tony Hawk and yourself. But it says that I, w- I did yeah, that for apparently. 10 years. I feel like that's more <laughs> than a semantic thing. I, I feel like I feel like that sounds pretty defined. Really? I don't know. I mean, I started traveling uh, as a teenager. I guess that's what I, I think. You know why I'm interpreting differently? This is probably, I, I have to look at that again. This is probably what I meant. 
And, uh, this is how I'm receiving it now because I went backpacking for four months and that was such a different life experience than before. Like I would love to go backpacking for like a few years and that's different. But what I did starting when I was a t- like I moved to Paris when I was 15 years old. And so I did do that. I lived in multiple countries for several years, but it wasn't like backpacking. I would just like move to a country and live there. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I like backpacking is traveling. That is like moving some to another location. It's not really traveling. All right. I guess. I don't know. But I'll read my bio. I'll uh I'll see <laughs> like what I'm putting out there. Well, well how it did sounds you, great though. It, like it, 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 do, it does group. sound good. It does sound good. Maybe I should how leave did you it. Outsource your love I'll check. Um, I had virtual, uh, well, I ended up having one main virtual assistant. Um, she would log into my, uh, what was it? My match.com, uh, profile on OkCupid and she wouldn't pretend to be me. She would just set me up on dates and say that, um, you know, my boss, I think you'd be great with my boss. And then I would just have to show up and it would be awesome. And then I outsourced my love life to a Facebook ad. I created a website. It's like strikingly dot com slash esprit yeah. or something like that. It's it's strikingly an esprit. I, I don't know the exact URL, but I create I using strikingly I created um, a website and then I sent Facebook ads to that site. So I outsourced it in that way. And then I used an app called Sensei app, which is new. It's an LA startup. And I just, the way Sensei works is you text what you need and then like the community gets back to you. It's great. I even like looked for groceries today using Sensei. I'm like, what's the best, best brand of tuna cans? <laughs> and Sensei, let me know. But anyway, for my love life, I like did need and I was like a date. And then I wrote all my specs down and then I went on a blind date from that. And I just find all these like creative ways yeah, to like. That's like it reminds me of the, to, uh, there was like a Tim Ferriss thing where he he said he uh, he had like twenty minute uh, dates or something like or like ten five five minute dates or something like that and he did like twenty or thirty thirty of them in, in a couple hour time period and he just like told everyone ahead of time like yeah. listen you're in a five minute date and I'm gonna talk to a person before you and after you and he said I think it turned into a long term relationship he found one girl that worked it did. Yeah. So I was inspired. So I used to blog about, I think it's outsourceyourlovelife.com. I can't remember, but I have Tim Ferriss's stuff in there. His, if I, if that is the right domain, his videos there, if anybody wants to see it, like, um, yeah, I was inspired by what he did. So I figured I'd do the same thing. And what was the success rate? What was the conversion rate? Oh my God. It was awesome. It was so cool. I met this, I met this one guy and we dated for a little while and he was awesome. But, um, he, uh, God, this is so weird every time I talk about it, but it, he was a Marine and he had to go to, he had to go back out to combat. And he, he, not me, he did not feel comfortable having a girlfriend because it was too much responsibility for him. And he, I mean, I can't even imagine the kind of stress that comes along with that kind of stuff. So, um, so he like struggled with it for a while and then we just didn't work out, but he was great. And I missed him for a long time. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm no, sure no, there's no. Uh... He's a great human being. Like, no, nothing bad. I just, he's great. Like I, I had this epic life experience with this guy. Like he took me like on our first date. He like, remember my virtual assistant set us up on the state. He took me horseback riding. It was like <laughs> the most amazing date ever. Like this guy was amazing. It was so much fun. I'm so grateful for the time that we hung out. So how did you actually, when you had, did you actually have a real person sort of programming these things at a, at a certain point or was it all through like a virtual uh, intermediary? 
Oh, wait, no. So a virtual assistant is a human being. It just means they live in a remote location. It's not technology. It's not a bot. It's right. So you, okay. So you didn't have a bot do this, but did you actually have, her name's Bobby Ann. (laughs) But did, but did you know her that well or no, you met her through. Yeah. She ran, she ran my company with me. So like, so she knew me off my business side, which is most of my side. So she knew just how I am. Yeah. Well, right. So it wasn't like it was that, that was my question. It wasn't like it was someone who's completely didn't know you at all. Because so I was going to say you have to have a lot of trust to kind of like put that in someone else's hands. So I it would could... do it with someone I didn't know at all. That would be an issue because outsourcing is all about writing really clear instructions. So I would feel 100 percent comfortable doing it with someone I didn't know at all. But here's the thing that's the catch is at least on the female end, I think a lot of females are super picky and like. Um, like I'm literally just enjoying life and going on an adventure and getting to know someone. I would love to have a boyfriend, but I'm not in a rush to have a boyfriend. It's like when I meet the right person, we have the right connection. That's when the right time will be. I'm not trying to fill a void or anything. I'm quite content, you know? So, um, so I didn't, I didn't mind whoever I got set up with because I was open to the opportunity. I was just stoked to explore like a new human being and like have a great conversation. And even if like a date didn't go so well, there's no date that didn't really go well for me because they were all nice people, you know? So I, so do I don't you know. think with that in mind, do you think that outsourcing, you can outsource anything as long as you communicate properly and leave clear instructions? Mm, I don't know because you'd have to define what anything is, yeah, but I think I you can outsource that, a lot. Like yeah, if a you're going to, you if you're going to fail at outsourcing, I'm, I'm it's usually going to be because into, the communication wasn't very good. <laughs> There's a whole, there's a whole article. I forget what, um, was it the, I forget. It's a prominent magazine or newspaper. They did a whole thing on how they outsourced everything in their life. I think for a month or a day, I don't remember something. It could have been a month and they talk about, they chronicle how the whole experience, I wish I, I'll try to find the link and send it to you. But, um, what are some of your tips though for outsourcing? Cause I find that I'm a very bad outsourcer. A lot of times so, I'm, I'm like halfway through and I'm just like, you know what? This is such a specific thing. I just need to do this myself. And that's really, I think, uh, it's one of the things I've been trying to improve on, but that's, uh, yeah, totally. I think a lot of outsourcing gets a bad stigma. First of all, the word outsourcing, the first thing people think of is India. And I do have a team in India and I also have people in New York. Like I have people in the Philippines, like it's people in Canada. It's like, it, it varies. So to me, outsourcing just means delegating and it could be delegating to a tool or delegating to a person. So you could delegate, you know, scanning your business cards to shoebox, which is, you know, a, a web service, or you can, you know, delegate to a person. Like I delegated my, you know, love life to Bobby. And so, um, and then I think what, what's important, a lot of the, the other thing about the bad stigma is that people don't write instructions very well because they don't know how to write instructions specifically for outsourcing, which you have to take into account the culture, who the person is, um, what their skill set. There's so many things to take into account. And then I also, uh, include videos in a lot of my instructions. I use, um, I think it's called screencast. Forget they changed their name. I have it on my computer, but, uh, snag it, snag it. And then I upload it to screencast for instructions. And so then people get mad and say outsourcing doesn't work or somebody jumbled up everything. But I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, not everybody's great, but that's the same as like the person down the block. Not everybody's going to be great. It's how you deliver the instructions and then how you communicate. 
And then um, the last thing that's really important is everyone thinks that they could just hire some, everyone, that's such a general decision. I noticed that people have shared with me that, and, um, they could just hire someone and then everything's going to be covered. So they'll hire one person who's going to be your video editor and going to be your secretary and going to be your chef and going to be like your, like uh, transcriber and everything else. And like, that's just not the way it works. So what I do is I, um, explore people based on talent and based on competency. And then I have them fulfill my needs dependent on like what the project is. And then I pay them accordingly. So I have several people that do all sorts of different things. And most of them at this point have worked for, with me for a really long time. And, um, and it's all based on like what they're really good at. And what I'll do is I'll, uh, when I'm hiring someone new, um, or even with my current team, I'll test this exact same project, you know, AB split testing. I'll test uh, the exact same project with multiple people and see what results they deliver. And then I'll, and I'll pay them. So, you know, uh, and I'll, you know, set it at a flat, at flat price for the project. So I, I know exactly what the budget is. And then I'll choose the one who delivered the best results. And I know what they're the most competent at. So either let's say I'm hiring for something in finance, like I'll have a test project and I'll see who, who delivers the best. One time when I was hiring a customer service person for phone, like I literally just said, call be, uh, during this time to this phone number. I didn't want to look at any resumes. I just had a whole bunch of people call me and whoever communicated well with me over the phone is the person that got the job and she's great. I still work with her. Her name's Janice and she's in the Philippines. You would never know she's in the Philippines either. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the things that I'm going to try and get better at is especially and in the permalance sort of landscape that I live in. Yeah. It, it, it seems like you've taken a lot of time, uh, correctly to, um, to value people and kind of figure out if they can actually do the job. Um, and you've auditioned people and put them through a ringer, not too yeah, harshly, but you know, well before you need them. Whereas I need you, Matt, and you do this. I'll, you do this too. But like I, it's tough. I always try and do better at this. But since I kind of live in a permalance uh, situation, a lot of times you just need to hire people very yeah, quickly and all yeah, at once. That's one of the hardest things. And like, like one of the things that I think I've really grown to kind of revere is like how well so, someone uh, screens the people that that work for them. Um, because hiring the wrong person can be like a disaster because not only do you have the wrong person, but then you've <laughs> like, you've wasted time, you've wasted your money and yeah. then you have to fire that person. Right. You've, su- you've sunk resources. You need to go through all of that. There's drama. It distracts totally. you from other stuff. It just, totally. it goes on and it goes on. And on the on. worst is I've hired people in the past that were great for like six months and then all of a sudden something shifts and they're just not anymore. I'm like, uh, and then, and you're so accustomed. This has only happened a couple of times, but it still happened. You're so accustomed to them being so great. You think like something just may, may be wrong for the yeah. day or the week. And then it's like a month and you're like, well, but it was great for six months. So, and it's very confusing. And then you just realize they're never going to get good again. And you're like, got to cut the cord. But that, that I can't stand that. <laughs> that drives me crazy. Um, but it seems like you have some good practices in place to hire people that you work with directly, but also people that you're, let's just, let's say we're, we're delegating to not outsourcing. Cause I think yeah. people do, oh, people I do wrote, think, uh, I, New Delhi. I wrote a book called the outsourcing cheat sheet. If anybody wants to like cheat your way to outsourcing, like well, we'll, we'll plug, we'll plug the shit out of that. There you yeah, go. So no, or people could just tweet me or ask me. I mean, I'm more than happy to help, you know, whatever, but yeah, like, Outsourcing is really, really easy if you're just open to it. 
what are some of the in a nutshell what are what are some of the concepts without giving too much away oh so it's like one good concept oh no i've already been telling like the split testing people you know um but one service that uh that i like think everyone in the world should have literally is um fancy hands fancy hands have you guys heard of fancy hands i have not it's Amazing. First of all, it is so affordable. It's, um, I think they start at like $5 a month and go up to like 40 or $60 a month. I have like the top package. I've had them forever and they handle everything for you, like whatever you need. But the way it works is, so they have a beautiful dashboard. You can call them, you can email them, you can assign them the dashboard, whatever task you need, but you get a different person every time. They're all us based people. And they work in 20 minute time increments. So that's the catch is that you can't, you don't have the same person working for you and you can't like assign a long-term task. But uh, a hack around that is if you use like an unlisted Google doc, then you could have the next reassign the task and have the next person continue on the task and in that Google doc and stuff like that. But fancy hands is amazing. Like so good. So good. I'll send you guys a link. So I think you get 50% off the first month or something like that. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll find it. But um, it's great. It's like so good. Hmm. I I love Fancy Hands, and their app is great. It's on at least on iPhone. It's great. Like I use Fancy Hands every day. And the best thing is, so um, they used to not have rollover. So you get a certain amount of tasks per month. I can't remember how many it is. I'm gonna guess it's like I have the highest level. So I think the highest level is like twenty or twenty five tasks. And I used to not use all the tasks, not on purpose. I just wouldn't need them all the time. So I'd set a calendar date the day before the task would expire and be like, make sure you assign all your fancy hand tasks. And now they do rollover tasks. So now I have something like 150 tasks sitting in my account. It's crazy. How much time a day do you spend on fancy hands? And this is my question. Well, I don't have to spend a lot of time a day because they're doing all the work for me. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, wait, um, I can I'm... like go into my fancy hands though. And I can tell you like some of the stuff that I've assigned. Here, keep talking. I'll look. I, I love I love to hear that because I want to see what is the what is the intricacy of what you're talking about. Oh, here's one. Uh, Teespring research. I asked them to do. I asked them to research uh, Twitter for Teespring. I was trying to figure out like T-shirt stuff. Oh, I was planning a dinner party uh, a few weeks ago. I asked them to find me a hula dancer. Now we're talking. Um, I asked them to. Oh, this was great for my dinner party. I had all the attendees send me their favorite song. And then I had Fancy Hands put it in both a YouTube playlist so I could play it on um, a screen at the dinner party on silent for atmosphere. And I also had them create me a, a SoundCloud playlist of, of those uh, songs. Um, I, I could the, totally use this for a lot of stuff. <laughs> I know. I, I, I had right now, um, you know, in podcasting, we're always like trying to figure out sponsor stuff. And so I had Fancy Hands research like what kind of advertising platforms are there outside of uh, mid-roll because it's, it's weird. It doesn't seem like there's that many. And so I, I have them research that. Um, I have masseuse here. I don't know. Oh, I think I was trying to have them find a masseuse for my dinner party. And so they found me a masseuse, like for a affordable masseuse for my dinner party. I, yeah. I'm yeah. Tons of, I, I mean, I use them all the time for anything. Uh, here I have deck flooring because I was trying to figure out if I want to, um, if I want to like floor my, um, outside deck. And so I had them do price research to see how much flooring would be in the different types. Uh, oh, here's one. Find stemless wine glasses in bulk hey, also for the dinner party. 
<laughs> yeah, but isn't that kind of fun though? Isn't that kind of the fun is like actually going on these like little missions to figure this stuff out, or is that just a colossal waste of time? What you mean in between <laughs> editing my podcast, running a company, trying to have a life with my friends, being a good daughter, like you know, like, I guess if you I want to I do all this, endless wine glasses into something. Like uh, Gabe Weinberg, uh, <laughs> founder of uh, DuckDuckGo. He's a Philly guy. He's in the second slide here. Oh, really? What well, he's in the thing? Yeah, I've never heard of this. This is incredible. It's I will great. probably, I will probably, I will probably give this a try. Yeah, you have to. I'll, I'll give you the like the thing. I just need to find it, but it's cool. It's totally worth it. I, I really think you'll have them forever. Like I will never uh, end my subscription with Fancy Hands. Like that would be ridiculous. Like it would be a, it would be. They save me so much time that they even make. Here's one. Like, um, so I called Time Warner today because I had to switch out my modem, and I just wanted to know, like, do I have to bring a box? What do I need to bring? Which I is the, had the worst company possible. Oh yeah, but I could have had Fancy Hands do that. Like Fancy Hands will call your utility companies okay, for you yes. and handle whatever. <laughs> See what I mean? Like, and I'm on the phone with Time Warner thinking, like, why did I not just assign this to Fancy Hands? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but they don't get they don't get stuck behind, like, security paywalls or, or security, like, you know, I guess you just give them your social or whatever. The, or the what? best, no, you don't give them their, your social. Well, one thing that they integrated is now that they, they can make purchases for you, too. It's behind the security of Fancy Hands. Um, and then you just have to press approve. And then um, it costs, like, a $1 transaction fee. It's, like, not even a big deal. So once I... I uh, was surprising my my girlfriend when I was with her and um I don't know we were traveling somewhere and she uh it was her birthday and I was planning all this stuff so I asked Fancy Hands to help me find a cake local to where we were and uh then I was able to approve them purchasing the cake for me which was great so all I had to do was pick it up and uh like a long time ago when I moved out of um a place there was a, uh, a cable box that I had re- returned or something, and, but something got mixed up with the cable company and they were charging me when someone else moved in. I'm like, no, no, no. Like I don't live there and I returned it and I dealt with that forever. And then finally I signed it to Fancy Hands and they took care of it in one phone call. Excellent. See, it's like, it's amazing. One thing I want, but before we forget, um, I noticed that you guys are on Simplecast. I'd kind of love to do a shout out to Simplecast because I don't think Simplecast like gets enough shout yeah, outs. They're they're good for us. That? I like them. I think I already did it. Yeah, like I use Simplecast. Simple. Okay, so anybody looking to get into podcasting is always like, where should I host my podcast? And usually you hear about Blueberry Libsyn, right? And Libsyn's like the granddaddy, and they're like grandfather in there of the best of the best but and they're great i'm sure i love simplecast simplecast is exactly what it says it's simple and they make it so you have a beautiful website of your podcast episodes that is built for you and the ui looks super clean and so you could send it to whoever you need to send it to no problem at all it doesn't matter if they have an iphone or android or whatever they have and uh yeah so big props to simplecast we love Simplecast. Without Simplecast, we would be blindly posting on iTunes and not knowing anything. I'd be doing so, this myself and being all pissed uh, off. Yeah, it would just be mad by himself. Um, well, cool. We covered a lot. Productivity tools, outsourcing, delegating, things that I should probably do better. But, uh, yeah, you've given us a lot of great ideas that I'll definitely check out. And... Um, yeah, what's uh, what else is going on this week? What's uh, what, what's the your next week look like as we wrap up? 
the the podcasting panel with a uh, general mm. assembly with um, Tom Merritt and the co-founder of LA Podfest and the CFO of Midroll and Ryan Williams from Influencer Economy Podcast and Mark Jeffries who used to work with Jason Calcanis and now he does Bitcoin news, uh, Bitcoin News Weekly and um, yeah so come to the podcasting panel on February nineteenth. And there's beer and drinks and wine, so that's a reason. It's all free. So there you go. Oh, Get drunk and eat. How can you? How can you say no? How can yes. you say no to that? You're not in Silicon Beach, Matt. But if you were, Silicon Beach sounds a little bit like kind of '80s. '80s Miami is kind of what it sounds like. Exactly. Um, for all the reasons we've mentioned. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> Matt, if you, if you were here, you'd, you'd definitely come back. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We definitely appreciate it. Oh, my God, you guys. Thanks for having me. This is great. You guys are awesome. Cool. Okay. All right. And if anybody wants to reach out, I'm at Esprit Devora on Twitter, and you can ask me anything you want about outsourcing or anything, and uh, I'm more than happy to answer your question right there and then. And so I just I like being a helpful person because I'm better at giving than I am receiving. <laughs>